What? Another episode of this podcast after five months? So, the host did not, in fact, fall off the face of the earth. This is true. I'm here, and I would love to hear from you guys. If there's anyone out there listening to this, please holler. Send me an email at sthpod at gmail.com for any comments, questions, suggestions, if you have suggestions for a guest, if you just want to say, hey, Sim, why are you so inconsistent with your episodes, anything like that, please, I would love to hear from you. But for now, please enjoy the following episode. Science is the Human Podcast, commencing. Welcome to this episode of Science is the Human Podcast. I'm your host, Simranjit Singh, and I'm here with Mr. Joey Verdi, who is a PhD student at Hunter College of the City University of New York in New York City. Joey, how's it going? It's going pretty good, Sam. This is Joey's second time on the podcast. You can check him out in an earlier episode uh, called The Graduate Experience. Fantastic and, episode. Yeah, fantastic episode. Got Joey's endorsement there. <laughs> and So, what? Second guest? Second time? For Joey on the podcast. Am I the first person? You're the first who's got person two... who's been a guest twice. I see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. why might you ask? Thanks for feeding my ego. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think he's doing cool stuff. So he's here, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about some interesting stuff. So to give everybody a bit of a recap, because I'm sure after they start this, they find out you were on the other episode. They'll stop this and they'll go back to the other episode. Obviously, I would do. Obviously, it. right? So I would do that too. So let's give everybody a quick review of what you do here. Right, okay, so uh, we work here on African trypanosomes. They are a flagellated eukaryotic parasite that lives in the bloodstream of uh, mammals. And there are a couple species of the parasite that can infect humans, but most of them we are immune to. And the reason we're immune is because we have this protein complex that floats around in our blood. Only us and some monkeys have this protein complex. And basically what it does is function as a Trojan horse time bomb type of thing that it floats around and when the parasite eats it, it, it blows the parasite up from the inside out, essentially. That's like the most, probably the most simple way to explain it. I always like to call it a Trojan horse. And so it's an innate immune factor that is composed of a bunch of different proteins and some lipids and some cholesterols and all that stuff in a big giant ball. And what we actually do is we study almost you know, we try to try to study everything there is to study about that particular protein complex. And so, personally, I work with uh, some different shapes and sizes of that complex in addition to a, well, genetically modified cow project <laughs> that uh, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about, about, about later. But yeah. in a nutshell, uh, we're trying to come up with a strategy that could be used to genetically modify cows to give them this protein complex from monkeys and humans so that cows won't get sick anymore because that's, the, uh, that's one of the major problems that the agricultural industry in Africa currently faces is the lack of livestock in sub-Saharan Africa because they all are susceptible to these parasites. And so if we could, you know, make cows that live there, we could, uh, we could do some good for the world. That's... Uh, that's the idea. So right now, for, for the cows that are infected by trypanosomes in Africa, there are some treatments available, correct? But they're not very efficient? Yeah, uh, that's a pretty pretty straightforward way to put it, I would say. That's, mm -hmm. That is indeed accurate. Um, 
I can't speak to the cost. I, I personally don't, you know, I've never bothered to check and see how expensive they are actually, but if you imagine needing to buy the drug every month or something to treat your entire cattle population, then you are obviously over years and years going to look at quite an expensive mm. piece of, you know, piece of uh, help for your livestock, I don't know what to call it. And then, as far as the treatment efficiency goes, it's basically cyanide. I mean, they, you would, in a, you um, essentially are injecting these mice with uh, chemotherapy. Mice, or we're talking about cows? Right? Cow, cows, sorry. <laughs> I said cow. Yeah, my bad. No, cows, yeah. Essentially, farmers are treating their cattle with, uh, with chemotherapy. It's, it's just something that's going to go in there and kill everything. Mm -hmm. And the idea is hopefully it'll kill the parasites before it kills the actual cow, but, you know death of the animal is actually a pretty solid problem as well so right. you know stepping away from the drugs that are currently on the market is a pretty big important um, step that I think humanity needs to take in, in terms of fighting this disease um, and if you could find a way to design better drugs that target only the parasite kill only the parasite and are not so expensive and they're easy to ship all the way throughout all of Africa then, you know, maybe that's another strategy you could take, but a lot of people have been working on that for like 20, 25 years, and we've gotten nowhere. I see. I mean, the drugs that are currently being used to treat penicillin in humans are decades old, because no one's been able to come up with anything better. So, that's why we're targeting our, that's why we're, that's why we're trying to take a different approach, this genetic modification approach, that's our... So, what makes, uh, what makes trypanosomes tricky to not only defend against, but also to create drugs against? Well, by what mechanism do they infect? Um, well, for starters, the way they infect you is by being transmitted to you by an insect. The insect bites you, spits the parasites inside of you, and then they live inside your bloodstream and they grow, 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 grow. And the reason that our immune system can't really fight them is because they have a, uh, it's called antigenic variation. Basically, they can switch what the, the, they can switch what their outer coat looks like, their outer membrane proteins, they can alter them, they can mutate as the infection progresses. And so basically the point there is that as you make antibodies against this parasite, it'll just change the antibodies target so that those antibodies don't work anymore. And then you got to make a whole new batch of antibodies which takes seven to ten days, and then they switch again. And so the parasites can infect you for long, long, long periods of time. I hope that was understandable enough. Mm -hmm. And so um, the switching mechanism uh, is something that I know there's a few labs are working on targeting that particular switching mechanism right. as a drug as a drug target. If you could somehow use a drug that prevents them from being able to do that, then every mammalian immune system in the world should be able to fight off the infection if they can't switch anymore. They can't dodge your antibodies anymore. So that is one way that you know, that's one possible strategy for fighting trypanosomes in the future using medication, but what makes them hard to fight against with medication is simply that they're eukaryotic, which are what human cells are. So although trypanosomes are micro microscopic organisms and they're unicellular as opposed to humans, which are obviously giant and multicellular, our cellular machinery that does things like replicates our DNA or makes our proteins and all that, it's pretty similar to what it looks like in the trypanosome, as opposed to the difference between humans and bacteria. It's very easy to treat bacteria with drugs because they have a lot of different mechanisms of 
DNA replication proteins that are responsible for that that look nothing like the human versions. Right. But trypanosomes and humans, genetically speaking, are really not so different. So a lot of drugs that you would use to kill a trypanosome would also kill a human cell. Right. Yeah. But I guess about antigenic variation, if, if you could find a specific drug that targets just that mechanism. Definitely. I mean, yeah. uh, there's... There's labs that have that idea. There's labs that are working towards that ultimate goal. But antigenic variation is an extraordinarily complex uh, mechanism of genetic alteration, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Um, and so the first thing they got to do is figure out what proteins are actually even responsible for that mechanism. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. They really, you know, they, the royal they, mm-hmm. people who study trypanosomes don't really fully understand. They hardly even partially understand exactly how that VSG switching happens, the, right. the, the code switching happens, yeah. you know? And VSG stands for variable surface glycoprotein. Right, that is the protein that they change the exactly. color of, if you will, yeah. by mutating and dodging our antibodies as a result. Mm-hmm. And so before we can make a drug that's going to stop that from happening, we've got to figure out how that even happens. You know what exactly. I mean? And once you do figure out how that happens, and let's say you do develop a, a successful drug to solve the problem of being able to kind of get that drug where it needs to be, in Africa primarily, right? Yeah, I mean, And then spread around, that's a whole other set of issues. That's a whole other set of issues, and right. at that point, <clears throat> you know, you get into drug distribution uh, from big pharma companies and all that, because, look, you know, the private sector laboratories that are dedicating their lives to trying to find this drug, figure out what they could use to treat trypanosomiasis, aren't going to be the people who are at all responsible for giving it to people mm-hmm. in Africa. You know, it's got to go through all the FDA approvals and all that to be marketable and then it's going to get, you know, it's going to be purchased by a drug company who then is going to manufacture it themselves and mm-hmm. charge however much they want to charge. Right. You know, and if it's a fantastic drug that's way better than the ones we currently have, it's probably going to cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it opens up a whole other can of worms because there's so much of Africa, millions of people and even more than that of cattle or other animals that are currently susceptible based on where they live, simply where they live, that, you know, drug companies are going to see that as a gold mine. Right. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, that's one way to tackle the problem. You are working on another way to tackle the problem. So, you're working on something called the Transgenic Cattle Project, which, right, we also comes up in an earlier episode. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> episode gross. two, right? Yes. So, your PI, Dr. Jane Raper, um, I had her on the podcast and we discussed it a little bit, but... So, the Transgenic Cattle Project is essentially another way to tackle this issue. So We think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I said, we humans and a few monkeys, namely baboons, have this protein complex that floats around in our blood that no, nothing, no other mammals have. And the reason we have this complex is through genetic mutation. You know, the primate lineage throughout evolution... It gained a couple of extra genes that none of the rest of the mammals have. Um, and they were, you know, kept in humans and baboons. And so those two genes, those two, are the ones that are responsible for building this protein complex. And what we think we can do is maybe come up with a strategy to put one or two, or we don't really know, again, we're testing it, a couple of the maybe versions of those genes from baboons into a cow to see if we could make a cow that then won't get sick at all. You won't need drugs, obviously, because mm-hmm. it won't get sick. It'll have the defense mechanism that 
right. monkeys and, and humans do. And so, you know, when 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 uh, long time down the line, you're going to have to come up with a strategy to spread the genes around Africa, just as you would have to spread the drugs around Africa. Yeah. But you know, we think we can do that with, you know, more widespread, easy, quick strategies that are going to stay forever, as opposed to you need to ship the drug there every month. Continuously, yeah. You know what I mean? If we just put one cow, <laughs> not really, but you know, <laughs> if you can imagine, just putting one cow in the middle of Africa, it's going to spread out and eventually you're going to have a ton of cows that are resistant. You don't need to keep putting more cows there. Mm. So it's a one-off, almost, idea. So yeah, we, we think the strategy, given the way that, you know, the drug strategy is currently evolving or not, as the case may be, mm. might be a, a new important direction that the world could could go. I'm sure we can launch into a whole debate discussion about genetically modified organisms. Mm -hmm. Of course. Thought, right? <clears throat> let's not. That's <laughs> fair enough. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about transgenics, though. Mm. So, transgenic mice, for example, are, are made successfully and used all the time. Quite in, frequently, in, yes. Right, uh, in, in lab research. So, what, generally speaking, what is a transgenic animal, what is a transgenic mouse, and why is it that it's more challenging to create a transgenic cow? Mm, sure. Well, uh, there have been, first of all, I'll answer that last question first, I think, because what I'd say is just that there have, it's so easy to use mice in the lab. Mice are such a useful tool. Genetically, they're not so different from humans, and... They are also easily pliable. They're tiny little guys, and you know it's, and they they replicate quickly, as far as mammals go. So there have been, I don't know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have dedicated their lives to figuring out how to more rapidly produce genetically modified mice for their research, because it's such a useful tool. You know, why on earth would, you know, giant biotech companies try really hard to make transgenic cows to do their research when it's so much easier to use mice in the lab than it is cows. And cows take, I don't even remember, 18 months or something, gestation period? Like, mm -hmm. the, it takes forever for cow babies to be born. <laughs> cow babies, calves. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just makes sense that over the years there have been a lot more efforts put forward to figuring out how to make transgenic mice as opposed to cows. So that's one of the reasons. And mm -hmm. no one's done it before, right. basically, is the reason that it's so mm -hmm. hard in cows at this time. But transgenics in general, um, essentially what you want to do in our particular case is you want to take a piece of DNA out of a baboon and you want to put it into the mouse genome. To do this, you need to genetically modify sperm and egg cells, essentially. The germ cells, that's what you want to modify, but you don't do it directly. You modify you know, a fibroblast, like a skin cell and then you take the nucleus of that cell and stick it into an egg. Mm. So you essentially then artificially in vitro fertilize a, an egg by itself. I'm not explaining this very well. <laughs> if you take the nucleus of a cell, it's got all the DNA in it. If you take a full nucleus and put it into an egg, the egg is gonna think that it's been fertilized by the sperm nucleus. Mm -hmm. But it's not really a sperm, it's just you putting an extra piece of DNA inside of the egg. Okay? What you do 
is you take a piece of DNA that has your baboon gene added into it already, put that in the egg, and then eventually, you know, you get a mouse after a while. But, so it's a pretty easy process nowadays. It takes, I don't know, a month to get, you know, from, from a piece of DNA and a little test tube to a mouse. It can take one to three months at, at the best companies, which is pretty fast. Mm -hmm. um, but for a cow, it takes a lot, lot longer. We don't even know what, you know, not a lot of people even grow cow cells in culture, so we don't know what cells are the best to use, you know, to do the modification. Mm -hmm. It's, um... It's, well, I don't know, it's tough, but we'll get it done. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the idea. Yeah, that is the idea, isn't That's what you're working towards. Yes, in the future, eventually. Yeah, eventually. So, what else, so in, in addition to the Transgenic Cattle Project, you also have other projects that you're working on. Totally. Yeah, so what are some of those? Mine? Or yes. yeah, Mine. yours. Well, uh, I'm basically... And how related are they to the cattle project, or is it completely different? Uh, I'd say at this point they're still pretty different, but as I go further and further through my PhD, I'm trying to tether them all together to one central theme, mm -hmm. and the cow isn't really even the umbrella. The umbrella is that I'm investigating the way that all, all the different shapes and sizes, all the different types of functions, everything that I can particularly find to study about the monkey versions of this complex of proteins that makes mm -hmm. us immune to trypanosomes. I'm interested in the human version of the genes as well, of course, but my project is particularly dedicated to investigating how the monkey versions, the baboon versions, the, the African green monkey versions, if it exists, you know, all the different genes of this complex from all the different other monkeys is what I'm investigating. And so the cow project fits into that because we want to use baboon genes to make the cow. Um, and then I've also got baboon. And what's the reason? And what's the reason for wanting to use baboon genes? Oh, simply because they have a better version of the gene than humans do, and by that I mean humans are susceptible to two particular species of trypanosome that have evolved defense mechanisms that destroy our protein complex. So we evolved this protein complex, and then they evolved in response to that to destroy our protein complex. Right. Baboons have a version of the gene that at this point appears to be unbeatable. Um, that no, none of the human infectious trypanosomes can infect baboons, or at least not successfully. Mm -hmm. And that's because they just have a better version of these genes. And we've proven that you know, formally in, uh, in vivo, in mice, through a lot of experiments. And so, you know, obviously it stands to reason why on Earth would we want to make a cow that has the worst gene that's going to make it susceptible to some trypanosomes. That'd be kind of dumb. Right. So we're going to give it the, uh, the juice, you know. <laughs> That's the baboon gene. Yeah. And so you study, so the rest, uh, you're interested in studying the same gene, which is, what mentioned is apolipoprotein L1. It is. Right? Uh, or apol L1 for short. Uh, so what you're, I guess part of what you must be focusing on is how they differ, to what percentage are the amino acids. Yes, it's very interesting to note that, you know, there are, there are certain genes that are responsible for cellular function. Cancer prevention, for example, like the gene called P53. It uh, is very similar in a lot of different animals and all the way down to the lowest animals that have it, you know, because it's such an important gene and never wants to change. The, the genes in the genome that you see with a high degree of variability 
from animal to animal or organism to organism, those are typically the genes that you think are involved in fighting pathogens. And that's because, as I said, we evolved this gene, and then the trypanosome evolved a defense mechanism, and then the baboon kept, kept evolving better than we did, etc. So those proteins are evolving so fast because they are involved in a molecular arms race, as they say, with a, with a pathogen. And so what's really, really, really interesting is that the baboon and human version of apolipoprotein L1 are pretty distinctly different from one another. It's very easy to point out all the differences. I think they're only 60% similar, which is very low, right. you know, considering how some other genes operate. Um, given how closely related baboons and humans are. Not so different. And so um, we're trying to figure out why the baboon and human genes are so different. And we have these, these ideas that it's really not just trypanosomes because it only takes one amino acid change, one individual mutation in a human gene to make it look like the baboon gene at one particular site that makes the human gene strong enough to kill all the trypanosomes, you know? So there's so many other differences between the human and baboon gene that we really don't know why they're there. So we'd like to see, are there other potential roles of this gene? Does it do any other things? Is it fighting a bunch of other pathogens? Why is it so different yeah. when the trypanosome killing part of the gene, if you will, is only a small point, only a small percentage mm. of the whole total gene itself? So we're, we're interested in, uh, in noting, uh, trying, to, trying to point fingers at potential reasons for the whole rest of the protein being so rapidly evolving, as they say, as well. I uh, hope that's clear. Yeah, yeah. So you know, an overarching theme of the lab is uh, looking at, you know, so ApoL1 is part of a complex called trypanosome lytic factor, right? Yes, that is the, the name of the protein complex. The protein complex, which is a part of HDL. Right, yes. high density of protein, what, 1%? Of certain yeah, that's what they say, it's based on right. the concentration of ApoL1 in your serum. They say it's a uh, trypanosomalytic factor, our favorite protein complex, is uh, amounts to about 1% of our total HDL, high density lipoprotein, which is, if you've heard in the uh, you know commercials, the good cholesterol. Mm. Yes, so it is a good cholesterol protein complex that has these extra genes or proteins attached to it. Right. So. I know an, an overarching theme of the lab is to kind of establish uh, TLF as more than just TLF. Right? Yes, yes. It was yeah. initially named, I don't even remember who, uh, trypanosome lytic factor a long time ago because, uh, you know, its first role was associated with the killing of trypanosomes. And, you know, I don't know, maybe that is the most important role or maybe that's the the function that it most commonly has in the human and baboon, mm -hmm. you know, animals. But, but yes, I mean, there is some other people in the lab working and showing that TLF, formally showing that TLF provides immunity against leishmania parasites as well. Com you know, they're in the same uh, group of parasites, if you will, as trypanosomes, but they're quite different. Um, so that's at least one thing that trypanosomalytic factor does that, does that doesn't have to do with killing trypanosomes. Um, it also causes kidney disease sometimes in African Americans. It's a whole long story. Go back to episode whatever it was, three, if you want more on that. But, um, 
But yeah, so there are people in the lab working on that, seeing how APOL1 is related to individual mammalian human cell function. Does it have any roles inside the cell that get messed up and eventually get kidney disease, something? So yeah, a big, uh, an ex a currently expanding mm -hmm. part of the lab right. is now turning our heads towards, you know, a bunch of other uh, nets, if you will, or ends of a spider web, to mm -hmm. try to like, yeah, expand our knowledge on TLF. Please expand on this analogy. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, you know what I mean. I go, I completely... Trypanosomes are the, are the, it's trypanocentric. TLF research is very trypanocentric mm -hmm. in the world. And yes, we are trying to reach our arms a little bit farther than that and see if we can find any other roles for it. Okay. Yes. And I completely forgot to mention, you, my friend, are going to Kenya. Yes. yes. I'm very and excited. you've already been. I have already been. So can we discuss a little bit about what you actually did there? On surely, the surely. Yeah, no. Uh, so uh, the reason I'm going to Kenya is because my cow, the, the cow project is taking me there. We have mm -hmm. collaborators there that are helping us with this whole project. And so, you know, they need my expertise, if you will. <laughs> As if. No, they, uh, they need some experiments done that they don't know how to do. So I'm going to go help out uh, for a little while and um, I'm pretty excited yeah so the last time I was there me and uh, our boss Dr. Jane Raper were just you know we were there for a couple meetings meet some people you know go to Kenya because that's awesome mm. and all that um, but yes this time I am going for uh, maybe four or five weeks to do some experiments do some actual get my hands dirty you know I'm pretty excited um, and it's a pretty interesting place, you know. There's a lot of uh, lot of open space, you know. <laughs> a lot of uh, trees, yeah. animals, you know. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I live in New York. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's exactly, quite the opposite. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, we were out in the African savanna for a couple of days as well, just as a little excursion, and it was it was quite amazing how mm -hmm. different it is. You know, there's not a, not a person for miles, and there's animals everywhere, and the air doesn't smell like you know traffic what does it smell like oh my gosh uh what does the air in africa smell like <laughs> is the question let's see um i don't know well i guess elephant poop but that's still better than but that's better than still better than smog than fumes. yeah <laughs> when you first got interested in, in in pursuing science and pursuing a phd when was that first of all sometime Ooh. during college or earlier um I, uh, when when did I originally come be, become interested? It was definitely earlier. My dad had a PhD in biochemistry, oh, okay. and when I was a little kid, he would take me to the lab and let me, you know, mess with his cells and kill his experiments, um, which he probably didn't appreciate. But you know, it molded me in the future, so it was worth it, I guess. Um, yeah, he was working on uh, multiple sclerosis, um, trying to come up with, you know, better. Drugs, just as everyone does, you know, doing basic research on multiple sclerosis, trying to figure out how the disease progresses. Mm -hmm. um, it's a neurodegenerative disease, you know, your neurons fall apart, basically. And uh, he was trying to figure out how it happens so that we could get a better idea of how to treat it. And so I always thought that was wicked cool. I was never interested myself in neurobiology, but it was an amazing start to get. And I even did an actual job shadow of him for real for a few weeks when I was in high school and that's what really showed me that you know the lab environment is what I was after mm -hmm. but took a few steps back when I went to college uh, you know freshman and sophomore year all that chef boyardee and uh, <laughs> and stuff you know I, I, was, I had my head in other places at the time mm -hmm. unfortunately but 
Yeah, it was back junior year of college is probably when I started really driving towards this. And then senior year, I, you know, never left the lab. Um, I was doing completely different work than I am now. But it was, um, it, I was just, it was about then, I guess, that I finally realized, like, this is actually 100% what I want. I'm actually going to try and make it happen. And, you know, a few years later, here I sit on the most famous podcast of all time. <laughs> Soon to be. Yes. But did, when you when you first uh, kind of made the decision that okay this this is it this is what I actually want to do did you think that oh in, in a couple of years I'll be going to Kenya to do some stuff oh god no you know? <laughs> I still don't you know I okay I'll tell you last year before we went the first time I was convinced that it was not going to happen it was just so cool I got we had the idea to leave and do this meeting and uh, and all that months before we actually went obviously there was a lot of planning went into getting all the people there at the same time yeah. But until literally until I was sitting on the plane, I was convinced that something was going to happen and I wasn't going to be able to go because it was just so freaking cool. Yeah. And so I'm kind of feeling the same way now. I was supposed to leave like a month ago and uh, some things keep getting in the way and delaying my, my departure. I'm supposed to leave a week and a half from now. And again, I, just, I sit here and I'm like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's too amazing. It's not happening. Yeah. Um, so yes, no, I had, I had no idea that, you know, Joining this lab was going to take me to all these really, really cool places. Mm-hmm. I get to go to Belgium in a little while, too. Oh, and then okay. uh, maybe a little bit of Venezuela next year or something. We'll see. Wow. A lot of places, yes. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, no, I had no idea that this is what actual real science was. I'll say senior year of college is when I got interested and like really drove hard, as I said. I thought the work I was doing was so awesome when so cool and so detailed and so you know, involved, scientific, whatever words you want to use. And then, like, a week in this lab, I was like, oh, this is what real research is. I was, like, blown away by all the crazy different things going on in this lab that were so interesting. Yeah, good times. I remember remember those first days, my eyes, like, wide open the whole time, you know. And you actually chose this program because of this lab. Is that that correct? I remember we had a conversation about that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, indirectly, but yeah. I I was, uh, I started in this program, um, well, I started at Hunter College by doing a master's. Right. And uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after that. I, I knew I wanted to do a PhD, but I definitely didn't have any aspirations of staying here to do it. And so I joined this lab kind of just out of happenstance. You know, it was the only lab on campus that was doing any infectious disease work. It's what I, what I was interested in. And then, you know, it didn't take long for me to come become obsessed with this system. I love trypanosomes now, the molecular mechanisms that lead to trypanosomes being killed by TLF is something that I'm very interested in. And so it didn't take long for me to want to stay forever. And so I, you know, I went to Jane, to Dr. Raper, I went up to Dr. Raper and I was like, hey, you know, I kind of want to do my PhD here. Is that cool? And she was like, yeah, let's do your application <laughs> right now. I was like, all right, sounds good. Well, and yeah, it just kind of happened that way. So I, yes, I absolutely would not be sitting at Hunter College right now if, if this lab was not also located here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I myself got to start in, in my first experience in a wet research lab, when we say wet lab, it's just to differentiate from like you know, computers. Computer, you know, a lab that focuses on use of computers, or for example, like a psychology lab or a social psychology lab. I worked in a social neuroscience lab. It wasn't the same thing as being in a lab like this one, where you actually have a bunch of chemicals, reagents, dangerous things, things that can blow up and kill you. Right. Yeah. It's right. Fun, right? <laughs> it's, it's awesome being around it. And so this is actually, this lab was my first experience with mm. that, and I also have to say, it was, uh, it was a really great start. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a fun yeah. place. Yeah. 
But man, thanks so much for chatting with me and, you know, obviously we're, you know, like best of friends now, so totally check in all the time, see what interesting things you're up to, so I'm just happy we could sit down and chat. Right, yeah, no, I yeah, uh, I, I good, wish you the best of luck. I had a good time. I hope my voice sounds better on your fancy new microphone. It does. Uh, <laughs> Sinranjit getting all the, I'm, uh, I'm the sure cool utensils for this amazing podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, man. All right. All right. Termination of current scientist the human episode. Stay breezy.